Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the podcast that takes a sideways look at politics, but that's mainly because politics appears to be lying down waiting to die. This is episode 129, I'm Tiernan Duyeb, and this week as schools minister and rich man's Russ Abbott, Nick Gibb, suggests schools should ban pupils from using mobile phones in lessons, I totally agree, as how detrimental would it be to a child's education if, in the middle of class, they googled the news and realised they don't actually have to learn anything to become a politician. Yeah, I started with a joke that wasn't Brexit-based, and that's because I didn't want you to drive away faster than a Nissan X-Trail. And while the X-Trail sounds like some sort of walking tour of a porn studio, it's actually Sunderland that's getting screwed, as Nissan have decided that they're going to be making their new hybrid car in Japan instead, what with Japan now signing the biggest global trade deal with the EU ever. It's nice to know that Brexit Britain has indeed opened up global trade routes, you know, just between everyone else except the UK, allowing Europe to access the Far East a lot easier than the North East. Nissan have decided that the government's top secret £60 million deal that they offered them a couple of years ago wasn't worth it, probably after seeing that the DUP got a lot more than that and they've likely tried to campaign against hybrids quite a few times, saying that they aren't natural in God's eyes or something. I'm guessing one of the X-Trail's new features was a sat-nav that helps you swerve piles of pointless bullshit. Unlike Nissan, Brexit itself is going nowhere fast. Last week's parliamentary bonfire of the sanities, where a Conservative DUP majority voted against, well, everything, basically proved that a lot of elected wrongs makes a confused right wing. There's so much to do that Parliament has had its February recess cancelled, and also its afternoon playtime and morning playtime is now staying indoors and doing crafts or watching a public service video about the dangers of farm machinery. And there's no milk, because that's the Conservatives' fault. Prime Minister and face painted onto a cheese grater, Theresa May, is returning to the EU too, as she says, battle for Britain. I mean, she's heading in the wrong direction by going to Brussels. If she really wants to fight for her country, she'll spend 20 minutes punching herself in the face before challenging other Tories to see who wants to bring it while wielding a shoe. May still wants a time limit on the Irish backstop agreement because, you know, her government have been so good at delivering so many other policies on time. That's a real reassurance, right? I mean, of course they'll have a solution to the Irish border issue before a deadline. Just look at their much more manageable promises to, say, tackle air pollution, which they missed all the targets for... Oh, uh, OK, how about their really reasonable, perhaps far too small house building targets, which they also uh, missed? Oh, OK. How about the sugar reduction target? That No? Really? Ah, oh, well, what about teacher recruitment? Look, all I'm saying saying is I am certain that the government are going to come up with a plan for this situation by a specific time that they've agreed, even though it's all so unfixable that MacGyver would hand in his notice rather than deal with it. Look, if not a time limit, then an alternative to the backstop seems to be the other idiot option, and May has assembled the Alternative Arrangements Working Group, or appropriately, ARG, with Leave and Remain MPs meeting to explore ideas, which means that they'll all have expensive cakes, say hmm a lot, and then leave, and then make stuff up that they'll tell the news, and nothing will happen. Home Secretary and Uncle Fester Tribute Act, Sajid Javid, is already suggesting again that existing technology could be used at the Irish border, which, considering experts say no such suitable technology exists, I'm I'm guessing that they've just drawn up plans for an Alexa to sit perched on the Lenamore Road as truck drivers shout what's in their trucks as they go past, and it responds appropriately. Pegs! I'm sorry, I'm having trouble understanding you. Pegs! I'm sorry, please could you repeat that? Pegs! 
Here's sweet relief by pigs, 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 pigs. It'll be fine. Man who still thinks curtains are a great idea on your head, Marcus Fish, has insisted, though, that ARG are discussing new proposals which aren't based on new technology, so that means it'll probably involve some sort of wall of Morris dancers while a town crier shouts border at anyone driving past. Chairman of the 1922 committee and teeth with a skin scarf, Graham Brady, was the MP who put forward the Brady Amendment last week that was voted through and insisted that May's deal has an alternative to the backstop. So far, as I mentioned earlier and every single day, the only viable alternatives to a backstop are not Brexiting or having a big fuck-off physical border. But Brady has said that he'll accept a delay to Brexit if there is a deal in place, so in order to get more time to work out what should happen, they'll have to work out what should happen first. It's Schrodinger's Brexit, in that it's been a dead cat all along, but no one wants to let the owner know. A delay may be the only way, though, as Foreign Secretary and Plastic Bag in a Week win, Jeremy Hunt, has suggested that Brexit may have to go into extra time, meaning an Article 50 extension, but sounding more like he's making sure there'll be adequate space for more own goals before we suffer penalties. Reports have come from Downing Street that Theresa May's next plan is to bribe Labour MPs in Northern Leave voting areas by giving them extra funding, in the hope that they'll vote for her plan and counter any Tory rebels who vote against it. This throws up loads of issues, both on the loyalty of Labour members, but also where May keeps finding money from to buy votes. Are we going to find out that the 10-year NHS funding plan has been scrapped because John, I'll do anything to get on TV, man, wanted a new postbox? Also, if May can only win votes by essentially purchasing them, then why don't we, as a country, tell her that if she funds everything properly, we'll all vote Tory next time and see if it works? Eh? Eh? Meanwhile, the EU are making loads of headway with their post-Brexit plans, promising visa-free travel for UK citizens to EU countries, which is great as that'll make it much easier for us Brits when we need to seek asylum. In the same legislation, the EU have referred to Gibraltar as a UK colony, which the government have objected to and said that it's part of the UK family, i.e. a colony but full of white people so we can't call it that. However, nothing is making more headway than hysterical no-deal possibilities, with British officials restoring Cold War plans to evacuate the Queen if it all goes wrong. Though I guess once they've evacuated her, Madge, she'll finally be able to stop sitting on the throne so much. <laughs> Poo joke. Speaking of poo jokes, it turns out that the export licences for millions of tonnes of rubbish will all become invalid in a no-deal and the Environmental Agency have warned that we will have tonnes and tonnes of stockpiled putrefying waste. Yes, there is literally nothing about Brexit that isn't also a perfect metaphor for, well, Brexit. It is actually going to trash the country. UKIP leader and rejected in the Night Garden character Gerard Batten has asked the Queen to suspend Parliament until Brexit to stop them ruining it, proving that he's definitely confused about what sovereignty means. I've got a feeling that was the seventh or eighth letter that he sent her that day, with previous ones including asking where she gets her jackets from, followed by love letters and then dick pics taken with a flash lamp. I'm starting to wonder if the Queen drafted her own evacuation procedure. In other news, Transport Secretary and Squidward's haunted twin, Chris Grayling, says that people only have a go at him because he's pro-Brexit and is a lightning rod for the anti-Brexit brigade. Lightning rod? Chris, mate, you could barely conduct a bus. It's amazing that a man who hired ferry companies with no ferries and is regularly behind the complete meltdown of the railways thinks people only hate him because of Brexit. No, Chris, it's that that and all the other potentially dangerous vehicles that you have no control over. Maybe he should just stick to working on aviation transport as he's very adept at keeping his head in the clouds while everything else crashes down around him. Labour Party finances are set to go into the red, which isn't great apart from the whole party colours thing. You know, suppose you've got to get the branding right. Branding. More staff, Labour Live being, well, pretty much dead, and a drop in members means that they're now in deficit. And critics say this is a terrible sign as to what Labour would do to the country if they were in charge, completely forgetting that most people would prefer a government to pay for workers' wages and fun events rather than 11 DUP MPs to come and scowl in the gallery like they've witnessed someone using cutlery incorrectly. Still, all Labour have to do is drop Theresa May a line and pretend they'll vote for her, and in no time they should be funded pretty well for the foreseeable future. And a number of Conservative MPs, including Walking Anemia, Jacob Rees-Mogg, have tweeted supportive messages for Islamophobic right-wing youth group Turning Point, so-called because none of them have hit puberty quite yet. The US group they originate from are well known for staging a diaper protest against safe spaces by turning up to Kent State University in nappies and with soothers, only for social media to use all those images to absolutely mock them as massive adult babies and ruin the group to the point of disbanding. Still, that probably explains Rees-Mogg's backing of them. I guess he assumes they also have nannies that care as much as his does. Lastly, Happy New Year to any Chinese listeners. 2019 is the year of the pig, so it should mean a rise in Trotskyism, potential promotion for Scottish Labour MP and elongated Kevin Bridges, Paul Sweeney, the government to keep making a pig's ear of Brexit, and former Prime Minister and drop pate David Cameron is likely going to try and fuck this year too. 
and creepy cutlery vandal Yuri Geller says he will use his telepathic abilities to make sure Jeremy Corbyn never becomes Prime Minister. Though it'll be pretty rich of Geller to claim credit for the Labour leader yet again, stumbling across a difficult fork in the road. Hey, Pop or Broads, how's your wintry February coming along? I hope you haven't been too snowed in. Isn't it amazing how all these idiots talk about pathetic snowflakes? And yet this past week, that's exactly what halted the UK and the US, so uh, take that. Uh, once again, we didn't really get any snow here in London because property prices are so high, even snow can't settle here anymore. Sad times. Um, you'll be relieved to know there is only one podcast this week. I mean, two last week was a little bit much, wasn't it? Especially as I, for some reason, thought it'd be a great idea to do two podcasts, despite all the family illness. Hey, it wasn't chickenpox. Um, it turns out my daughter had hand, foot and mouth, which I think, if it gets worse, becomes head, shoulders, knees and toes. Um, anyway, despite its name, it is nothing like foot and mouth, which is what cows get. Though I'm guessing that's mainly because they don't have hands, so the virus has to go all in on the feet and mouth, rather than spread itself too thinly. Um, no, actually... I don't have a clue. Um, But my daughter had it anyway. She had hand, foot and mouth and then my wife got it and I didn't like some absolute legend or more as I assume once again, despite my best efforts, I just failed to go viral. But... Yeah, anyway, I still did two podcasts like an idiot. And thank you to those of you who listened to both, um, especially uh, the ranty beginning one and then for... um, Oh, Jesus. Anyway, her brilliant, excellent Welsh politics chat. Isist. Isist. Oh, God. Anyway, and my awful pronunciation of her name, which I've just done it again. I've just... All I've done is made that more insulting by doing it... Doing it any worse. Anyway, um, listen, it's definitely a one-pod week this week, as not much is going on while everyone spends all their time trying to work out what is going on. Um, But thank you to listening to this week's one pod, and mega thanks to the three of you that reviewed the show on iTunes last week, which was much, much appreciated. And don't forget, you, yes, you, you can do that too. You can review the show on iTunes or on Podbean or on a banana as a surprise for fruit enjoyers or spiders. But as I boringly mentioned, and yes, I know how boring it is, I do this every week, but I wouldn't have to do it if everyone in the entire world and some aliens all reviewed the show so maybe just do that everyone and aliens and then i can stop thanks yeah but seriously reviewing does supposedly persuade others to listen to it and sites like apple to actually feature it uh, but obviously that may just all be a pod dream maybe that won't happen but it'd be nice if you did it anyway um it's still mostly though just best to actually tell people about the show and tweet facebook instagram and linkedin about it just so some confidence therapist in seattle knows about it i really don't understand how linkedin works it's a bit like a place where fun goes to die isn't it i invented a made-up name for where i work on linkedin it was something unimaginative like tin and incorporated or something and still every year people congratulated me on working there total jobs worth oh um if you can donate as well to uh patreon.com forward slash parpolbro which i mean is patreon just falling apart who knows but if you have any concerns about donating there um then do donate monthly or oncely to uh kofi which is ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro instead um and thank you to the anonymous donor who did that last week um and please do the same if you like it um right are you in leicester have you heard of leicester in a film or a book are you leicester piggott either of those is great because if you are then you can come to my shambles show at the Leicester Comedy Festival on Sunday 10th of February at the Queen of Bradgate at 8pm. Uh, Beck Hill is doing her show before me. I think that's a 6pm start or 6.30pm start. Uh, I don't know. It'll say on the interwebs. Um, anyway, her show's going to be actually be good, so why not come to both? Uh, it's only £5 per ticket. I think there's a discount if you get more. I might be making that up. Either way, you can grab tickets at comedy-festival.co.uk if you fancy that. There's going to be a mix of politics stuff, uh, parenting stuff, other thoughts and some ideas that probably... Probably don't make any sense yet. Hey, fun. Work in progress shows fun. Um, also, the Kids Politics show, uh, How Does This Politics Thing Work Then, uh, which I mentioned last week, is the one that I do with Tatton Spiller from Simple Politics. That starts again next week at The Place in Bedford on 13th of February at 6pm. And then in Guildford at G Live on the 16th at 2pm. And please, if you live around there in Guildford, please do bring your kids uh, to that one, because I think at the moment it's pretty much just me and Tatton twiddling our thumbs in an empty room. So please make us not i mean i hang out with tatton normally we don't really need to travel that far to do it come along make it worthwhile um those more dates for that show too but i will update more next week and lastly i sort of i probably didn't need to add this but i just wanted to say um how sad i was uh, that jeremy hardy passed away last week i'm sure you knew of him um if you're a listener and you enjoy satire and comedy you must have known of him um he was a truly wonderful wonderful comedian and satirist um known for many things but especially his work on radio 4 and his own show and the news quiz and others and 
While I didn't know him as well as some of my pals, I was super lucky enough to work with him a few times, especially in the last few years as I've been doing more and more political stuff myself. Um, the last time was last year at a fundraiser for Justice Mexico Now. Um, you might remember I interviewed him for this podcast and it was a bit before that I did the show and he was on. And Jeremy Hardy just blew the crowd away with 30 minutes of just absolute brilliance. I was properly in awe and... and like every time I saw him it was an absolute inspiration he died so young at 57 and he's already very missed and um, just hearing about him possibly really made me quite sad but look seriously if you enjoy comedy about politics do check out some of his work loads of it's available um, sorry I haven't a clue uh, I've put all the songs that he did on there online on one playlist do check some of it out it's absolutely fantastic and it, uh, yeah it's such, such a shame such a horrible sad shame um, right, this week's show has a chat with Nazak Ramadan from Migrant Voice about how the Home Office basically scammed tens of thousands of international students. Um, and I also speak to Nomi, one of those very students uh, too, who was kind enough to talk to me about the really, really horrible time he's had as a result of the very anti-immigration stance that the Home Office has taken for several years now. Um, plus, there is some Brexit fallout, mainly just to fill time, because I still don't really know what the point is, and I wish it would just end. Not even in a remainery it needs to stop or alleviate it needs to happen now way. I just want it to end. In a sort of like Men in Black style memory eraser, wake up with no knowledge of what happened and everyone goes back to complaining about tax avoidance and serial cafes again way. You know, good times, good times. Oh, and of course, before all that, there's this. You know what they say about buses, right? You know, you wait for ages for one and then none turn up because all the services are being cut and you have to walk and it's raining and ah, what's the point? Bus service cuts were highlighted this week when Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn had to get a lift to a meeting in Nottinghamshire discussing them because the number 21 didn't arrive for ages. Yeah, you make your own jokes about Corbyn going nowhere, but bus cuts are a pretty big problem for a lot of people who need to get on the bus and go up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah, you can tell I've had to sing my daughter's sleep recently, haven't you? Can't you? The little baby bum version of Wheels on the Bus has a whole verse about a lion on the bus who says, see you soon, see you soon, see you soon. I mean, that is totally a threat, right? Sorry, what I mean is, in the past eight years, more than 3,000 bus routes in England and Wales have been cut, which means about 85 million journeys less than there used to be. Basically, there's a lot of places now where lions have to just threaten you in the street, and that is a shame. Council bus budgets have been cut by 45% since 2010 due to government cuts and two-thirds of councils cut their spending while haven't spent anything on buses at all in the last two years. Now, that's a lot of facts and figures, but when it comes down to it, that just means there are a lot of people who can't get to work without a car, lots of elderly or disabled people who can't travel anywhere, one Jeremy Corbyn who can't make meetings on time, and several dismayed lions. My wife's nan, so my nan-in-law, my law nan? Hmm, not sure. Anyway, she lives in Oxfordshire in a village where they've scrapped the only bus that there was. She's got really bad knees and arthritis and now, as a result, can't go into town at all and is basically trapped at home unless someone gives her a lift. And this sort of thing really goes against the government's plans to tackle loneliness when they won't even provide people with the means to get so annoyed with kids on the bus playing music from their phones that they're happy to be at home by themselves in the quiet again. Councils give private firms money to run routes that they can't afford to run commercially, but if that funding is cut, so are the buses, and so is people's access to jobs and schools and an increase in cars and air pollution. Parts of the country, such as Ramsey and Cambridgeshire, are 12 miles away from the job centre in Huntingdon, but the number 30 bus that connects the two is being cut at the end of March, so if claimants don't want sanctions, they're going to have to do a 24-mile walk each day. Labour is saying that if they ever get into government, they'll invest in bus routes and introduce a free pass for the under-25s, which sounds great if you're under-25, and if you're not, also begs the question of isn't that less money being collected for buses, though? The government have, of course, said that they've put £250 million each year into bus services and £1 billion into free travel for the elderly, but that's like paying for a single on a return journey in that it's not enough for what's needed and it'll end up causing more trouble than just doing it properly. But it is the Department of Transport, so there's every chance if Chris Grayling did try to step in and try to actually do something about it, he'd end up hiring a bus firm with no buses and then he'd blame the bus passengers for not wanting to board a bus that isn't there before demanding they stop ruining bus travel and come up with a solution themselves. Still, it does increase the chances of him bumping into an angry lion. I record this podcast is a tiny overfilled cupboard of a room where you have to climb over four piles of baby's clothes, toys and nappies in order to get to the inadequately small desk covered in a variety of letters I probably should read. A plant that is definitely dying is so nearly dead. An old 1980s Rancor monster Star Wars toy and two dead moths. Yeah, two. I sort of feel like one just encouraged the other, to be honest. 
Oh, and it's also always cold. Yeah, despite all that, I'm pretty sure that my home office is a damn sight more welcoming than the government's. Sure, I've made admin errors while doing my work, but the worst it's caused me is a double booking on an appointment or making a spelling error that caused people on Twitter to be sad for about a week. I've never made an admin error so bad that 63 people got deported from their country of citizenship. But as if to insist that the foreign office is just for them lot places far away, the home office seems to insist that unless you were born on their very clerk's desk before their very eyes, then your citizenship may be up for grabs. So Sajid Javid and his wrecking lives crew can add your departure to an impossible reduction in immigration numbers to the tens of thousands. As well as unlawfully deporting many of the Windrush generation, enforcing a hostile environment policy that really isn't needed when the Prime Minister has a body language of a siege engine, and mistakenly detaining 850 people, whoops, eh? They also have waged a stupid war against international students, refusing to remove them from the overall immigration figures, despite them coming to the UK bringing income and credibility with them. It's recently emerged that between 2011 and 2014, the Home Office accused tens and thousands of people, who were mostly students, of cheating on a required English language test that's needed for visa renewal. You know, the one people have to take in order to work and study here, whereas if you're already here, you're fully allowed to get there, there and there confused on a daily basis. But the Home Office have no evidence of this test cheating, and yet still detained and threatened with deportation many students who were consequently kicked off their courses and now unable to work or, well, do anything when they should instead be finishing their studies. I mean, fair play to the Home Office for so virulently mishandling citizenship and education issues all at once like some sort of master conservative department. But the whole thing is pretty grim. This week, I spoke to Nazek Ramadan, the director of Migrant Voice, which is a migrant-led organisation empowering migrants to speak out. She told me all about what happened, what these students have gone through and what should be being done about it. I then spoke to Nomi, who's a Pakistani student and a victim of these accusations, and he's been fighting against them for five years. And the way in which Nomi has been treated is pretty sickening. And once you've listened to this episode, please, please do check out Migrant Voice online and sign their petition to get the Home Office, at the very least, to investigate this properly. First up, here's Nazik. So this uh, story about the Home Office failing foreign students, um, it hasn't really been in the news. I didn't know much about it except through Migrant Voice. Um, How... How have they failed foreign students? What's happened and how many people has it affected? Uh, well, I mean, we also at Migrant Voice, we only knew about this uh, well, massive injustice uh, a year ago when the students approached us. Uh, the whole situation started in 2014 for following a BBC Panorama program, which showed that there's been some cheating uh, in an English language test at uh, a number of centres. Uh, and as a result... Uh, uh, the government decided uh, a large number of students who took this particular test, and this is an English language test required for their visa for international students. Uh, so the government, instead of checking uh, uh, evidence and allowing students to defend themselves uh, or to challenge allegations, decided that everyone who took this particular test uh, is uh, uh, well has committed a crime and uh, kicked them out of university and asked them to get out of the country. Uh, we're not talking about a small number, we're talking about over 56,000 international students uh, from a number of countries, including India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Iran, uh, uh, Sri Lanka, uh, uh, Afghanistan, uh, uh, Pakistan, and many other countries. Uh, of course, uh, the reason it was not in the news because those students uh, they came here, they didn't know, uh, they're not legal experts, they came to study, uh, and most of them, of course, uh, spend their family's life saving to come to the UK uh, for the best education in the world, uh, only to find themselves being accused of cheating in a test uh, without evidence against them, so the evidence against them is not there, uh, and the, without the opportunity to challenge those allegations in uh, UK courts, most of them were told uh, you cannot appeal from the UK. You can ap- some of them were told you can appeal from out- outside the UK. But some also were told you can appeal from the UK, but and, and others were told you cannot appeal. So you can imagine the situation the students were under. So uh, a criminal, a normal criminal, would have a better opportunity to defend themselves because a normal criminal, you, you accuse them of something, you present the evidence against them, and you allow them to go to court to defend themselves, to challenge those criminal allegations. Now, those students do not have the same opportunity. They're just told you cheated, 
and get out of the country. And if you think you're innocent, you know, you can or you cannot appeal. And by the way, there's no evidence against you. Uh, and, and this is, it was, you know, an imposter. The students find themselves in an impossible position. Uh, we know we're not saying no one cheated uh, and we're not disputing the Panorama program. We think, yes, of course, there has been some cheating. But what we don't accept that over 56,000 students have cheated in this test. Uh, having seen many of, a, a large number of those students, uh, they, they speak fluent English. <laughs> Some of them have already completed a degree in the UK. Uh, and so they had to repeat this test to renew their visa to do their master's. Or some even did their degree in master's and they wanted the post-study visa to set up a business. Uh, so they were told that you have cheated and, you know, the whole future was, you know, being destroyed. Uh, and without, as I said, uh, they found themselves trapped without the opportunity to defend themselves. Now, the way they were treated like criminals, uh, many of them were detained were uh, were you know, don't raid against them by a large number of police officers and uh, put in detention and many were deported. Uh, now this happened almost five years ago, uh, but till now some of those students, a number of those students are still in the UK, try to fight for justice, try to clear their names because what it means those students with these allegations they cannot go to any other university because they have this allegation against them. They cannot get a good job, and many of them cannot get visas to travel anywhere in the world. So, really, their future, you know, ended here and now. So they're just—it uh, sort of leaves them stuck in a kind of limbo, or you know, without—they're not able to do anything <laughs> until this until this is uh, solved. Absolutely, and, and also another thing to add: but those students, uh, some of them, you know, as international students, are allowed to do uh, fifteen hours, I think, per week. Uh, to work, you, were, you had the right to access healthcare uh, and other services. Uh, those students lost the right to access healthcare, lost the right to work, uh, you know, lost any rights really, uh, and even the right to rent. So they were put in an impossible uh, position. Now, those who actually were deported or those who decided to leave uh, also faced lots of problems back home. As I said, many of them cannot go to any other universities or cannot get a good job or cannot get visas. But the bigger problem they face is their families. Many of them have been disowned by their families because their families send them to the UK, have a high opinion in regard of the UK legal system, uh, the UK education, UK justice system, UK fairness. They did not believe their sons and daughters. They thought their sons and daughters, they must have cheated because many of them told, if you are innocent, you could, you, why can you not prove it? You could have, you know, you should be able to prove your innocence. You cheated, you brought shame on the family, you wasted our life saving. I mean, the impact on the student is enormous, it's gigantic. All of them suffer from mental health. All the students we've seen, almost every single one of them, is on medication for their mental health. And some of them even... They're not, you know, one of the students we were working with, we can't work with anymore because he's almost gone mad. It's just they cannot accept it. They, they came here as young men and women. They're 20, 21 years old. They have all these hopes and dreams, and then suddenly all this collapsed before their eyes, and they lost, you know, instead of having the best experience in education in the world, they had this nightmare, and they lost five years trying to find justice tried to fight to clear their names in a very impossible situation so i mean one of the things that you you said at the very beginning was the home of you know there's no evidence that they cheated on on this on these tests so how have the home office been able to just say 56,000 to have cheated that's that's quite a large amount to suddenly uh, accuse and if there's if there's nothing to back that up what what were their what was their reasoning for it i think what what's happened is uh, the, the Panorama program showed that this uh, uh, company, which is called ETS, is an American uh, testing company who ran those centers. Which the, the program showed that cheating happening. Staff at those centers are, you know, uh, supporting, encouraging cheating. Uh, the government asked this company, even though this company was under investigation, in criminal investigation by the UK government, the UK government decided, let's ask them to check and give us the evidence, provide us the evidence of cheating. Now, uh, this company uh, provided evidence that was deemed uh, flawed uh, by the court in the UK. 
they were all over the place. Uh, they were not reliable. Uh, and this is, I think, our uh, biggest issue here is you rely on the company that you accused of facilitating this criminal activity. You rely on them to provide you evidence. But those, some of those evidence that this company provided were all over the place. As I said, many judges here decided not even to rely on them because they were fundamentally flawed and unreliable. Uh, some, for example, uh, some of the students actually who never took that test, they were told you took that test. Other students who uh, they were told you cheated in your test in Leeds, they've never been to Leeds. Actually, they took their test in London. Uh, I mean, etc., uh, etc. Et so many examples uh, of uh, the unreliability of those tests. Uh, so, I mean, this is what the government decided to to rely on those rather than actually check with the students or try to have a a simple uh, solution like what we're asking them to do now. Why don't you find a secure test centers and allow the students or the students to reset the test? If you're doubting, you know, if you think they're cheated, let them reset the test in a secure center. Now, the government seem to think for 34,000 differently cheated and then 22,000, they have a questionable test so they might have cheated, and, and we allow them to reset the test. Of course, we challenge all this information. We don't agree with it. We don't, we don't support it because the government failed to provide evidence. We think only a small number, minute number of students whose university had this facility, this test, allowed their own students to reset. But most, we don't have this information, so the government failed to provide this information. So we are, we are questioning all these numbers that government came up with and the evidence they relied on. And the whole process, I think what's dangerous here is government not following due process. Because in UK courts of law, uh, in UK courts, you cannot uh, accuse someone, you know, without evidence. I mean, there are due processes. You cannot accuse someone. Any, you know, criminal investigation will be thrown out if the evidence were deemed unreliable or flawed. But in this case, the evidence were flawed and unreliable, and the government did not follow due process. It took, it almost had its own law outside the UK law, and threw those children, uh, the students out of universities and out of the UK, destroying this, the futures of tens of thousands of students. So, in terms of challenging this, is that uh, that's the angle that you, that's having to be taken? And, but, but with the students not being able to necessarily get legal representation, how are how, uh, you know, uh, is this being challenged overall for all the students at once or or individual cases? I mean, how how does this work if they can't get the representation? I mean, a small number of the students, some of the students were at that time for various reasons because they had different visas, were entitled for legal aid. Some of them spent over £120,000 of legal aid trying to challenge this decision, and they won. I, I mean, I think the government must have spent a huge amount of money uh, trying to actually, you know, challenge <laughs> challenge this issue. Uh, but uh, many of the students, because there are no uh, proper evidence against them and uh, they have no right to appeal, they spent tens of thousands trying to seek judicial review uh, to say that the government decision is unreasonable. So they spent, on top of the tens of thousands they spent for their education here, for university fees and for their, you know, living costs, etc., they ended up spending tens of thousands more uh, to go to, to seek judicial reviews, which actually will not help their situation. Uh, because this is, again, it's a very strange uh, you know, allegation uh, and a strange situation where you accuse someone, criminalize them, and uh, you, know, you, don't have, you don't present the evidence against them, or the evidence you present against them that are so flawed, so unreliable, uh, that even the courts now refuse to look at them. Does that give some hope that you know, some. I mean, I'm guessing uh, that this kind of requires the the, the government really to apologise and and take it back, rather than it, you know, if it goes through the courts, it's going to take a very long time. It's been taken few years. I think you know, students have been here for five years, and some of them still have cases in courts. And uh, and many occasions when the Home Office discovered that this student is about to win their court case, they will do a deal with them under the table. So we've seen we've lost the students who are campaigning. They lost so many of their friends through this process. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a taking years, and, I, and you're absolutely right. I think the government should apologize for not following due process, for not following 
you know, uh, for not implementing what this country stands for, you, you know, for treating everyone as innocent until proven guilty. In this situation, everybody was treated guilty until you prove yourself evidence. And by the way, you cannot appeal and the evidence against you isn't that. I think this is a very, uh, uh, I mean, a strange situation. It's very concerning, deeply concerning for organizations like us working with migrants. And all what we're asking now, the government, is to for a simple solution, let them reset the test. And those who do pass the test, please give them back the status that they had before you, uh, you know, you criminalize them. So we are presenting something, you know, a very practical uh, solution for uh, for this issue. I wanted to ask, do you, I mean, what is the, what do you think the Home Office's interest in, in doing this is? And do you think part of the problem is that they still insist that for, uh, foreign student numbers are included in the overall immigration numbers? I mean, we, like you, have our suspicion, but, uh, I mean, we don't know what drove them to take that decision. Why they found it much easier to criminalise a very large number of students rather than, you know, following different processes to check or to, uh, or to, you know, at least present uh, reliable evidence to criminalize students. <clears throat> we're not saying that those who cheated should be lightly. I mean, we're not disputing that. We think those who cheated and broke the law should be treated accordingly. But we're saying that, you know, a large number, most of the students were innocent, and this is not the right way uh, to treat uh, people. Uh, we actually don't understand the reason behind it. But like you, we know that the government has been trying very hard to reduce uh, the cap on net migration, and they uh, also refused to take these international students out of this uh, out of this number. Even though there are many uh, from the, the government party who actually were advocating to take the students out of this uh, net migration target. Now I don't know if this related. I think you know, uh, for us, if this is the uh, a very, you know, it's an uh, injustice on a massive scale. And this is an example where the government, you know, uh, followed their own law. I mean, they're almost, you know, out, you know, outside of the UK law, came up with their own processes, uh, which actually goes against what we stand for in this country. How, how do you feel at Migrant Voice at the moment? Because, you know, there's, we've had we've had this case now, uh, we've, there's been Windrush, there's been the hostile environment policy, and now there's the immigration bill. It's quite scary. I mean... Are you quite? You must be quite concerned about the future for for people coming to the UK. I mean, we are very concerned, not just about the future of those who are coming. We are concerned about the uh, about those who are in the UK, because you know the, the hostile environment created by by this government a few years ago has had a huge impact. Uh, has led to uh, dividing communities. Has led to a surge in. Uh, discrimination. Uh, I mean, when you turn landlords into, uh, you know, border uh, officers, uh, when you turn teachers and doctors uh, and uh, into border officers, I mean, even those who don't want really to discriminate against migrants, they will discriminate. I mean, if you're a landlord and you have a, a room in your house, uh, you want to rent because of money, and the government tell you you must check everybody's paper, check they're in the country legally, and, you know, if it turns out this person is not here legally, we'll find you over £2,000 and we could, you could face prison sentence. Now, even if this person doesn't want to discriminate, they might find it much safer for them not to rent this room to anyone who looks like a migrant, including those who are not migrants, <laughs> but, you know, the third-generation migrants or uh, people from, uh, you know, of a certain color or ethnicity. Uh, I mean, we've seen the impact uh, of that. So we are worried that this is not, uh, uh, you know, we're all concerned about those who are in the UK at the moment. Yeah, it's really terrifying. And, and I think the, the same with, with this case with the, with the students. You know, foreign students bring a lot of money to universities, but if they're being you know, told that these students are cheating or whatever, the universities might not take them on, they're going to lose a lot of money. It's going to have a, a sort of rolling effect, won't it? Affecting not just the, the people in this country and the people coming to this country, but also the universities and the education centres Absolutely. As well. I think this is really damaging to the reputation of the UK universities. Uh, it's absolutely damaging. And we know from many of the students who we deal with, they're actually telling their <clears throat> siblings and their friends <clears throat> back home, do not come to the UK. Don't study here. It's not safe. It's, you know, 
uh, and they're sharing some of them sharing their experience with people. And we know that actually the number of international students from certain countries has gone down. So we are concerned. But, you know, we're concerned about the, the way that the, the government is looking at migration, is addressing migration, is treating migrants. And now it's not just affecting migrants. I mean, in this situation, you're also affecting universities and their income, which is uh, uh, international students are a very important uh, resource and income for our universities. But also these policies, uh, you know, hostile policies are also affecting British people in, in many ways. I mean, look at the family migration rules. I mean, this one affects almost 40% of the UK population do not meet the income threshold this government puts uh, to allow a person to bring their, you know, foreign uh, spouse or partner. Uh, so I think those policies uh, are now affecting, you know, more than just the migrants. Sure, definitely, definitely. Um, and I just wanted to ask you one more question, which is a question that I ask everyone uh, on this podcast, really, um, is that apart from Migrant Voice uh, and the brilliant work you do, um, are there any other campaigns, groups, writers, uh, or, you know, people that you trust uh, for information on countering xenophobia and the rights of migrant communities? Who, who would you recommend that listeners uh, look out for? I mean, there are many organizations, a large number, I'll just name some of them. I mean, there is the uh, Rani Media Trust, there is Amnesty International UK, there's a Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants, there's the Migrants Rights Network, there's a Refugee Council, Refugee Action, Migrants Organized. I mean, there are so many organizations uh, who are actually trying to advocate uh, for the rights of migrants and advocate, you know, for a, a better society for all of us. And is that the best thing, if, if listeners want to help, is that the best thing to do to get involved with yourself and with other organisations, or is there anything else more immediate that you can recommend? I mean, uh, or I, I guess the easiest thing is for the listeners is to contact us or any of those other organisations, and uh, we can tell them how they can get involved. There are many ways people can get involved. People can write letters to the editors. People can write to their MPs. I think right now with this campaign, we are trying to inform more and more MPs about this injustice because many MPs did not know about it. So we're taking to the Parliament and we're hoping uh, there is an all-party parliamentary group on this particular issue will be set up soon, in the next few weeks. So uh, there's a lot that the British people can do to help, the listeners can do to help by writing to their MPs, say, this is, you know, big injustice. I'd like you to try to work to, with other MPs in Parliament to address it, and this is, you know, not on, and I don't agree with treating people, you know, guilty until proven innocent, and this is not the way we should be treating mig- international students, and this is not the way we should be treating migrants. I mean, we should stop scapegoating migrants for political gains, uh, really, and we should, you know, try to see migrants for the people who are. They're the neighbors, they're the teachers, they're the doctors, they're the nurses, they're food, food pickers, you know, they're, they're part of our community. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. That was Nazek from Migrant Voice, and in a minute you'll hear my interview with Nomi. But first... Brexit fallout! Brexit fallout! 
Sorry, it's this again. It turns out it's still happening. Just endlessly whining like a very large deflating bouncy castle, the sight of which makes no one happy. You know, if you love bouncy castles because of all that they provide in terms of fun and, you know, bouncing, right there is collapsing. That's depressing. But if you hate bouncy castles, you've now got an annoying noise, loads of crying children and a massive collapsed bouncy castle to deal with. No one's enjoying it. That's what I'm saying. No one enjoys Brexit at all. So, if Theresa May doesn't bring a revised plan to the House of Commons by February the 13th, then she's sent into the cursed earth to try and survive against a menagerie of radioactive horrors. No, wait, sorry, sadly, that's not true. Um, The aim is that she'll have a revised deal by the 13th, and then on Valentine's Day, MPs will get to amend it, because there is nothing more romantic than putting all your energy into a single motion. That didn't quite work, but it did in my head. No, not really. Anyway, then if it doesn't pass, she can then do that all over again, until suddenly it's March the 30th and time hasn't frozen, and now no one has any courgettes and their garden's covered in shit. Or, if her deal does pass, then Article 50 really needs to be extended or the transition period elongated because the European Union Withdrawal Agreement Implementation Bill has to get passed in order for the UK to actually leave. You what now? You mean the deal bit isn't it? Oh no, my friend. The deal bit was merely the tweeted gif of the title previewing a teaser trailer that in itself previews the trailer that previews the film that you didn't want to see in the first place. The Withdrawal Agreement Implementation Bill, or Why Bill, as I like to call it, as though we're all questioning just what on earth Bill has been doing, has to work out payment for the so-called Divorce Bill, which isn't a divorce bill, it's for services we've already agreed to for the time that we're in the EU. Why does no one remember or read anything? Sorry. So, the Why Bill has to work out the payment for the so-called Divorce Bill, it also has to provide protection for EU citizens' rights in the UK, and has to work out the overriding ruling of EU law during the transition period. Yes, that last bit's all about the European Court of Justice still being in charge until the transition period is over, which is the sort of thing that Brexiteers will lose their mind over, even though it really won't matter to them unless they do something highly illegal. Oh wait, oh I get it now. Anyway, somehow, despite them not being able to pass the deal that even gets us that bit in over three months, the government then have to somehow pass all that stuff before March the 29th. Why do I see a weird montage of Commons debates with MPs collapsing with tiredness during weird shouty statements as a clock ticks to all of, ironically, Europe's final countdown? This is why there's no break for MPs over February. No time for pancakes because they're already flipping all over the place with several acting like useless tossers. It's unlikely the EU are going to budge on any of the things they've been saying for two years that they won't budge on either. Surprise! But that's just self-preservation. If they say, hey UK, you do what you want, it's only a matter of time before recession hit Italy, swans up and asks to do what they like, and then the Netherlands, and then others, and then suddenly the EU is a party where everyone's on their own phones, drinking their own booze, and no one can decide what music plays. Hint, it's Europe's final countdown again. So, really, either May can buy out rogue Labour MPs, which means Labour will probably have to look into disciplinaries for those who accept, or May has to convince her own party, or she has to head into the cursed earth and fight a clone Tyrannosaurus. Ah, yeah, sorry, that's still... still not an option. Such a shame. Such a shame. So, uh, anyway, this week I thought it might be fun to quickly highlight some of the things that Brexit will affect that you may not have known about. And by fun, I mean awful. It might... it might be awful. It will be awful. Do you know what Brexit does? It affects everything in the universe. Okay, not the universe, but in the UK. So what do you think Brexit going to affect today? Here's a clue. It's everything. Brexit could affect 1.7 million people in some of the least developed countries in the world. Yes, I know, I can't see that argument persuading human Veruca Ian Duncan Smith either. If anything, it's probably just an extra bonus for it. The EU has an initiative called Everything But Arms, which allows all imports to the EU from the 14 least developed countries in the world to be duty and quota free on everything except, yep, arms, like it says on the tin. So they can send things like sugar, rice and bananas, even though you can pretend a banana is a gun, but I think that's still okay. But countries like Cambodia sell 7.7% of their exports to the UK, and without the UK as part of the EU, they're going to lose that tariff-free trading, at least for a while. And that means they're going to lose 7.7% of all that money. But yeah, as I said, trying to persuade those who strongly want Brexit those bags it's going to harm other countries is a bit pointless. Still, I look forward to their faces when there's increased migration from countries who can no longer support themselves due to the UK's choices. See, I was right, this is all awful. 
Brexit could cause a lack of isotopes used in hospitals. Isotopes are not Apple's uh, new sotopes, but instead they're radioactive elements used for treating tumours and cancer. The UK currently has access to isotopes because we're part of Eurotom, a group that tells you if you're Tom or not. No, not really. It's an internal EU organisation that works as a market for nuclear power and ionising radiation and the safeguarding of such materials. By leaving Eurotom, we'd leave the agreements to have those things transported safely and isotopes decay pretty quickly, so delays at customs could mean that they're ruined before they even get here. So once again, arguments between different political cells have a cancerous effect. No, wait, no, this one is actually too depressing to even have a good gag about it. You're a Tom. No, you are. No, you are. And lastly, 250,000 expats could return to the UK, about 40 of which will be pensioners and in need of NHS treatment. Yeah, we've got rid of doctors and we're gaining people whose only talents are running a sports bar into bankruptcy and robbing trains. If some of the expats returning were actually born abroad, then they'll fall victim to the Home Office's hostile environment policy and be denied healthcare and benefits. Yeah, take that scrounging Brit coming back here and taking all the benefits and jobs. That'll show them. I hope Sajid Javid quits his safari holiday early to shoo them away at Dover, warning others of their aggressive wanker signs and frighteningly bad tattoos. Anyway, I'm sure all that's helped you feel much better. I look forward to updating you next week when it turns out Brexit will raise Cthulhu from the seas and disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox will be on TV trying to promote our new trade in calamari. And now, we return to my conversation with Nomi. Nomi, you are one of the students that's been affected uh by this home office uh scam really um can you tell me a bit about well well firstly tell me a bit about where you're from and and when did you come over to the uk and and what was it to do um uh, uh, i came from pakistan and i came in 2011 to study business management and uh, i came on the first year i completed my course of level four and then i went to the second year <coughs> Uh, I had a 14-month valid visa till, and then I completed first course, and then went for another course for level five of business management. I completed that, then I was studying final year of my business management course, and I uh, applied for my leave to remain. When my visa was pending, and uh, applied for my last leave to remain, that was fourth uh, of January 2014, and. Uh, after six months, when I was waiting, I was waiting for my visa and I was attending my college. 30 June 2014, 5:45 a.m. in the morning, I had immigration officials, enforcement officers, and police all came with like 15 to 20 officers came into my home. They banged my door and they came inside and uh, they asked my name and ID and I showed it to them and then they arrested me and then they detained me straight away. My God, that I mean, so 15 to 20 officers just for yourself, that must have been terrifying. Exactly. It was like four to five events by they came in. And the funny thing is, like, I was sleeping and I woke up and I showed them ID and I was supposed to attend my college that particular day, Monday. And I asked them, like, why are you guys here for? And they said, oh, we need to check something. We need to take you with us and we will let you know. And... Uh, I think, why are you going to take me for? Because I have my application for leave to remain is pending. And because, you know, like it was really shocking. It was a surprise. Like normally in case of your application refusals, even if you apply for visa and if it gets refused, home office normally gives you 28 days to leave the country. But in, our, in my case, they just, you know, like then they put me handcuffed and they, then they said, we will take you for a few days and then we will, really, uh, we will, like, we will leave you later. And I said, that's fine. And then they took me to London Bridge. They took my fingerprints. And then they straight away sent me to detention center. And without telling me no reason why are they detaining me for, I was still asking them for the reason, like, what, why why all this is happening? But they didn't answer me anything. And then, like, after three days, they gave me a refusal letter. And that says, this is a refusal letter, the application you applied for the leave to remain. We have refused that application, and this is the ticket we are deporting you back to Pakistan. And so how long were you, were you kept in the detention center for? I uh, spent four months and five days. I was in for like 125 days. That's a long time when you, you, you weren't... I mean, you know, not anyone shouldn't ha- have to spend time in there, but when you weren't told any re- you know, you weren't told any reason immediately, they just immediately turned up and, 
uh, with 15 to 20 of them, and then suddenly you're there for four and a half months. I mean, what was going through your mind? Well, you know, like even the person I was being detained for, and uh, I even asked him, why are you being detained for? And he told me he actually murdered somebody, and I never kill a rat in my life. And we were being treated like a criminal already, like, because they detained me for telling me no reason, and we were being kept with the criminals. And all those 125 days, like, I can't forget those days. It's always when I try to sleep, it's still more than five years. But whenever I try to sleep or try to close my eyes, those days comes into my eyes. The way we were being, you know, like, 8 o'clock, the door was being locked till 8 a.m. in the morning. The people banging on the door, like noise and all those. It doesn't come out of my mind. Well, it's like prison, isn't it? It, it sounds it sounds a lot like a really, really awful prison. Yeah, it is a prison, yes. Because all the criminals who have like uh, pending uh, deportation orders, and everybody, people, they kept there, all the drug dealers and everyone. And myself, I've never been to prison, not even... None of my family member has ever been to prison. Like the family oblong is a very respectable family of the society and nobody even ever imagined to be uh, ended up like this. And I'll tell you about myself, even like before I come into United Kingdom, I passed the English language test and then I got the entry to come into United Kingdom and study here. And when you were in detention centre, were you able to contact anyone? Were you allowed to sort of get any help while you were there? Well, the thing is because uh, there's no camp phone is allowed. So I wasn't able to talk because normally I used to speak to my family via Skype or by FaceTime, but I wasn't able to see anybody because the only phone we was able to use without cam and that was like a small phone. So I was like hardly able to touch anybody because there was a deception problem there all the time as well. So well, so completely isolated. That's I mean, and 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 since you've been uh, in the last four four and a half five years, how have you been challenging this? Then what have you been able to to do about it? Obviously, you're still in the UK. Mm-hmm. Well, after that, you know, when I was released on bail, one of my cousin who came to get me out of detention on bail, and I was released on bail. That was like I think five November two thousand and fourteen. That's when I was released. And since then, you know, I tried to, that time a case was in the court that was being refused after one year. Then nearly, I think, two to three times I tried to challenge the decision, tried to put application against in the home office and asking the home office so if they can reconsider my application because I wasn't allowed to appeal from UK because they told me you have to go to Pakistan and you can appeal from Pakistan. Well, that was a really situation for me to go back to Pakistan like this because my dad told me my son you are not being welcome to my home if you come with these criminal allegations against you because they have a you know firm again like they have great on the they have great belief on the UK justice system and this is like if you think like you are innocent and you haven't done any criminal activity or you was not involved in anything like this so why don't you go to court and prove yourself? And we have tried numerous times to go to courts and prove ourselves innocent, but we never got a that fair trial or fair chance to speak in front of a judge. And it must be costing you thousands as well to keep challenging this. Yes, it's costing me a lot of money, a lot of money. Over, I've spent over £40,000 for my legal aid, and if you add my, stu- like, for three years education as well, it's, have gone over the 60, 65,000 pounds. And then the plus, the time, five years which has been gone, nobody can bring it back. It must be so hard to keep fighting this and not have any results. You know, what's what's keeping you going? The thing is, there's nothing we have to lose anymore. We have lost everything. So it's just we are trying our best to clear our name for this deception to complete our education. Because I was studying finally year of my graduation. And I had only three months left to complete my graduation back in 2014. And I would have been done my graduation. And 2015, I would have been done my MB and go back to Pakistan. So, uh, I'm so sorry. This is such a horrible thing to happen to someone. I mean, it, it must... How is your... 
you know, like uh, obviously, fingers crossed, this, this goes through, and for, you know, hopefully, the the government see apologise or do something to reverse this. But I mean, it, how's how's your feeling towards the UK education? I mean, would you would you ever want to study here again? It must really put you off doing that. Well, the thing is, we had a very worst experience of our life. We never imagined. We never came to UK to be ended up in prisons and detentions. To be, I never wanted to be stay in UK as an overstayer, as an illegal immigrant, or all of this type. Because I came here to study, and uh, my family sent me with the great hopes to, and they choose the best country of the world, to go and study the best education, and then come back to Pakistan and serve them, and serve my country. But all of this, I can't go anywhere else in the world. Even in this case, if I go back like this, I have incomplete studies. <coughs> I won't be able to get anywhere job. And the problem is even if I try to get to any other country in the world, if I try to go to Australia, if I would try to go to Canada or U.S., it's most probably chances I would be rejected for a visa because if they will check my history and they'll say in United Kingdom, you was been accused of fraud and you wasn't even able to prove yourself innocent. So that means you was, you were like... Uh, part of it that was like i would be rejected for those visas as well and the funny thing is I always try to ask homework you see if you have any evidence against me so you can bring against me and last time even i went to court and the home office they submitted the grounds and the evidence against me <clears throat> and they put my nationality bangladeshi and well they said this is the biggest evidence against you and i was shocked and i said look at it the evidence you're bringing me against and you're telling me that I belong to Bangladesh and you're trying to deport me back to Pakistan and even on the test yeah they don't even have your correct details and yet they you know they don't have the correct details on you they don't have any evidence I mean it 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 seems like an absolute joke but the funny thing is even you know like even they have any confusion or anything I'm surprised with the judges when those documents were being submitted in front of them so why were they not able to look at it? They should justify that. They should check it like you don't have even correct evidence and you are accusing somebody's life and you are accused somebody of fraud. It's such a horrible allegations. Yeah, really horrible. Uh, well, I, Nomi, I'm so sorry that you've had to go through this and, uh, you know, what needs to happen next? Well, the thing is, before entering United Kingdom, I passed the English language test exam, and even the test center, which uh, the test which I took place here in the UK, on that particular test day, the UK border agency was there, and test was organized in front of them, and then later on, after two years, they come back and then they said that test center and that test was taken by fraud. All we want is we can go for another exam. You choose the place who will come for the test. Anywhere you want, however you want, we can reset for the exam so we can resume our studies. Because the thing is, even we try to, even if I try to go, because all my passport, all my original documents are being held with the home office since 2014. If, even like if I try to go any test center to reset for the exam, I won't be allowed because I don't have a valid passport with me. That's with the home office. So without their permission, we can't even reset for another exam. So... We can go and reset for exam and resend them the test result. Okay, this is the test result. We have another test and everything. But since 2014, they have had my password. And even I tried to call three many like colleges and institutions if I can, you know, reset for the exam. And then they said without password or without the home office letter, you are not allowed to reset for exam. Oh God! Well, that I I can't imagine just how frustrated and 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 upset you must be by this. And um, thank thank you very much for talking with me today. I really appreciate that. The life uh, I'm spending by myself is every day wake up without any you know right of work, without any right of rent, without right of NHS and everything. I never been sick, but I could have been ended up in the hospital any time. So it's the life we are spending is like really worse we can't even imagine how hardly we're spending our life many thanks to nazik and nomi for having time to talk with me um it's so saddening to hear what nomi went through and i honestly 
just can't imagine how terrifying it'd be suddenly having 20 immigration officers storm into where you live before detaining you for four and a half months without warning. I mean, that is the absolute stuff of nightmares, just horrifying. Um, and uh, really appreciate him having the time and being willing to talk to me about it. Um, you can find Migrant Voice and information on all their campaigns at migrantvoice.org or on Facebook and Twitter at Migrant Voice UK. Uh, the petition for justice for all the international students whose lives have been ruined by the Home Office is their pinned tweet on their Twitter, so please do sign it and share it. It doesn't have anywhere near enough signatures and it should have loads, loads more. Um, I need guests. Every week I need one. Yes, it's almost an addiction. I should probably be concerned. But who else should I speak to on the show and what about? Please let me know what you want to hear, even if it's just 40 minutes of white noise that you can play when the news is on so you miss it entirely and feel slightly more content. Of course, a suggestion of someone to interview or a subject to interview someone about would also be great. And you can drop me a line about any of those things at Parpodbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, the contact page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you can send me an odorific message of whoever it is I should contact and I'll have to guess who you mean by the smell. For example, if for some weird reason you wanted me to interview disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox, you could waft the smell of old bullshit into a jiffy bag. Or if you wanted me to interview for some reason Barry Gardner, then you could also use the same smell. Or if you wanted me to interview Esther McVeigh, yeah, I can see. I can see why this might not work. As always, it's much easier if you just email. Yeah? <laughs> And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Billions of cheers, my dears, to your ears for listening in again this week. And please do review the show on your podcast apps or oddcast paps or adcast pops or tadcast paps, whatever you prefer. Uh, also, please donate to the Kofi or Patreon if you can afford to, so I can use it to help me stockpile podcast um, juice in case of an O-deal. You know, this is that podcast juice. And please spread the word about the show to loved ones and probably more so to unloved ones so that they feel slightly loved until they listen to this. And here I've described them as unloved and then they feel betrayed and worse than they did before. Ah, oh, life is complicated isn't it? Danke schön to Acast for embracing the show in their giant audio arms, to my brother the last skeptic for all of the sounds and to Cat Day for all the linear liner notes for every show that end up on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk This will be back next week when the Alternative Arrangements Working Group announce an alternative to the backstop and reveal it to be Yuri Geller who will stand at the border shouting what he believes to be in your vehicle and accidentally ruining a lot of bicycles. Bye! This week's show was sponsored by Mr. Bus's Guide to Rural Bus Routes, containing 484 pages of blank white paper for you to draw pictures of buses in while you wait for a bus that isn't there. Mr. Bus's Guide to Rural Bus Routes. Catch it now before you catch a cold standing in the rain for eternity, because there is no bus. You've got no bus. Stop waiting for a bus. Start walking. There's no bus. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.